and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, starts a brand new series entitled, Don't Be That Guy. Amen. Great to see you guys today. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, listen, it's cold outside. And uh, we know we had some proms this weekend and then time change Sunday. I'm just telling you, if you're here today, you love Jesus. I mean, let's just, let's just be clear. So uh, I want to say welcome to everybody, our Faith Church family. Thanks for being here each and every week. If you are a first-time guest, man, really, we hope that today is life-changing. We believe with all of our heart that God loves people. We believe that he calls us into a relationship with him and that ultimately through God's word. You know, the Bible tells us that in the beginning God said, let there be light and there was light. Every star hanging in the sky came as a result of the power of God's Word. God is still speaking through His Word, and that's why we preach. That's why we share sermons or messages, because we believe that God uses them to impact people's hearts and to change lives. So I want you to buckle up and get ready as we start a brand new series today and as believing God to do some great things in and through and for your lives. So before we get into the first week of this new series, I have a confession to make, and that confession is that I, that I am a, uh, I'm a manscaper. Um, if you don't know what a manscaper is, it's not a landscaper. I don't, uh, I don't cut grass. A uh, manscaper is somebody that cuts, um, cuts hair on their body besides just what's on their head. And before you get too freaked out, let me just be clear. <laughs> manscaper, now I just, just I got to say this. I'm not the only one in this room. Now, you may not confess to it. You may not admit to it. But we have some other manscapers even on our staff. Um, I won't tell you their name, but even Pastor Ryan shaves his arms. And that's okay, and he's allowed. There's different reasons, but for me, there's a reason because everybody knows, especially guys. Come on, guys, you got You have to be with me for a minute. You remember those times when you're going through puberty, adolescence, and like you're just praying for some hair to show up. Like you want a mustache, you want some underarm hair, you want some chest hair. Come on, y'all, don't hate me. Everybody goes through it. Every kid. I remember when I was growing up, my grandfather used to say, like, if you eat that, it'll put hair on your chest. Like I would eat whatever he said because I thought it would put hair on my chest. But then there comes a time, right? Some of you guys don't know this. I know I look 25, but I'm 45 years old. And so while I wanted hair when I was 15, now I want it just to stop growing. Just stop it. Come on, y'all. Come on, I need some middle-aged men to help a brother out up here. Like just So the reason I'm a manscaper is because I have a, I have a Saturday night ritual every Saturday night because I'm going to stand in front of a couple thousand people, and I got like an ear, nose, and throat thing going on. So right, my ear, nose, and throat thing is that I refuse anything in my nose to crawl grow out of my nose. So I'm trimming, I'm trimming some nose hairs. I'm just being honest. Uh, anything like anything in, like in my shirt, I don't want it growing out of my shirt. So I trim like my chest and just, let's make sure I'm clean. I'm, I'm making sure I'm manscaping. It's for you. I'm just being honest. It's, it's for you. Um, and it's just kind of part of the ritual again to make sure that kind of I'm clean cut because here's why. Um, I just refuse to be that guy. You know what I mean? Now, when I say that guy, I'm not picking on anybody here, but I mean for me, when I look in the mirror, I'm just saying, Steve, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy that you are confused with where the nose hair stops and the mustache starts. 
I just refuse to be that guy. I refuse to be that guy that looks like I have a Brillo pad sticking on top of my shirt. Like, if you want to be that guy, you be that guy. I'm just not, I'm just, just don't be that guy, right? Everybody say, don't be that guy. So this term we're going to use for the next couple weeks in this new teaching series is, is kind of this, this cultural term, this cultural phrase, as a way of calling people out when they do acts of stupidity, when they do things, especially when they're culturally or socially unacceptable, someone will say to them, hey, don't be that guy. And so what we're going to do for the next couple weeks is we're going to look at Scripture. We're going to look at some of the people that we find in Scripture that are doing things that are out of bounds, doing things that are culturally or socially outside of being a Christ follower, being somebody that's in love with Jesus. And so we're going to look today at a story. In fact, the story we're going to look at for a few minutes is probably the most often preached section of Scripture. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and it's known as the lost chapter, not because it was ever lost, but because the context of Luke chapter 15 is about lost things. It is the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It's three parables that Jesus tells back to back to back. But before we kind of get into what the parables are about, you have to know why Jesus is telling this parable. You have to understand, understand the backdrop, right? Because anytime Jesus taught by a parable, which was using a story so people would understand spiritual things, Jesus would often tell parables in response to people's questions he would tell parables in response to statements people would make. Jesus basically would tell these, these, these stories that people could understand to enlighten people on who God was, what God was like, what God's kingdom was like. And so before we get into these three parables, I want us to take a look again at the backdrop because we get it right in the first three verses of Luke chapter 15. This is the backdrop of why Jesus tells these parables. Right here, read it with me. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Dun, 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 dun. Right? It's not just an everyday sinner. Like, I'm an everyday sinner. But some of you, you're notorious sinners. If you were in the club last night at 2 o'clock in the morning and you shut it down and you're here at 11 o'clock for service, you probably are a notorious sinner. Right? So right away, the Bible kind of paints this picture that Jesus, there's this group of people, tax collectors and notorious sinners, watch this, that often came to listen to Jesus teach. This is big. What that tells us is that Jesus liked people that was nothing like him, and people that was nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And check this out. They didn't just kind of hang out with him and listen to him from afar, but this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. So they didn't like Jesus' friends. They didn't like the people that was gathering around Jesus. In fact, the Bible gives us this other piece of information. Jesus wasn't just associating with these tax collectors and other notorious sinners. He was what? Even eating with them. Which, again, for us may not mean as much, but this is this cultural statement that if you had a meal with somebody, that if you broke bread with somebody, if you sat at a dinner table and had a meal with somebody... What you were saying is, these are my people. This is my clan. This is my family. These are the people that I identify with. So it wasn't just kind of sitting down eating. It was really a statement of ownership and a statement of community. And so in the middle of Jesus, and this is so important, because really what's happening is the religious people of the day didn't like the community that Jesus was building. And today we would use a different word than community. Today we would use the word church. Jesus was gathering people to himself that was nothing like him. 
Now, the religious people of the day, they were okay with some sinners. But there were some people in the mind of religious people of that day that just was off bounds. Like, you, just, you shouldn't associate with them. You shouldn't talk to them. And Jesus, if you really are by chance at least a rabbi and maybe even the Messiah, how dare you hang out with, how dare you endorse, how dare you identify with such notorious people? So ultimately, it says this, because of their complaining about who he was associating with, verse 3 says this, so Jesus told them a story. So in response to the religious people complaining about who Jesus was hanging out with, he goes on to tell them some parables. He goes on to tell them, Luke chapter 15, these three parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now, so ultimately his response was to some mean, to, to, to some mean tweets. He was responding to aggressive bloggers of his day. He was responding to the gossip column of people calling him out because of who he was choosing to associate with, hang out with, talk to, and identify with. And so he goes on and he tells what becomes, again, these three parables. Now, if you're new to church, new to spiritual things, specifically new to the Bible, you need to know that originally the chapters and the verse breakdowns and even the title headings were never in the original scripture. Like you just had like the book of Matthew and that's all it was. Later, people added chapters. Then later after that, people added verses. And later after that, people identified and they kind of labeled sections of Scripture for us to help us to kind of find our way and navigate through Scripture more easily. So those, those titles are, are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. God didn't write that. In fact, I don't like these titles that are found in Luke chapter 15. Again, we know them synonymously as, again, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Here's why I don't like them. Because those titles tend to focus on our lostness rather than the passion of God to find us. Because that's really what these parables are about. If I had the chance to write the Steve Husky translation, and I might one day, I'm just telling you that I am changing what those things have become to be known by. I'm not going to talk about the lost sheep. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the committed shepherd. That even though he had 100 sheep and one of them went astray, he was not satisfied to hang out with the 99 and say, I got 99. He was committed to go and search for and look for and go out of his way to go find the one who had gone astray. Is anybody here today thankful that we have a committed shepherd who looks for us when we go astray? I just got news for you. The Bible says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. And I'm thankful that we have a committed shepherd who looks for us. Then the, goal, the second one is, again, it's been known as the lost coin. It's, it's okay, but I think we should just relabel it. I think it should be called the tenacious woman. In the Bible, Jesus tells the story that there's a woman who has 10 coins, and these 10 coins probably were her dowry so she could get married off. And she loses one in the house. And she's not satisfied that she has nine. The Bible says, and Jesus tells the parable, that this woman who loses just one coin, she turns the house upside down. She's digging through seat cushions. She's finding old M&Ms and hairpins, looking for the one coin that's missing. Is anybody here grateful for a tenacious woman that God never gives up on us and he's looking for us when we're not even looking to be found? I love it because that's who he is. And then the last parable is the parable, again, that we have come to know as the lost son or the prodigal child. Again, I think it's just, it doesn't ring true to the story that Jesus is trying to tell. It's not just about how lost you and I are or have been at some point in our life. What Jesus is accenting is who God is and what God is like. 
And I think it should be much better called like the compassionate father. That even though the son went out, even though the son, and we're going to see this in a minute, abandoned the father's house, God, the father, never gave up looking for him and couldn't wait for him to come back home. I am thankful. I'm thankful for a compassionate father who never gave up on me. And so when you read through these parables, again, when you read through, again, not just the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, but the committed shepherd, the tenacious widow, and the compassionate father, when you read through those, all three of these parables have the same four components. It's Jesus telling the same story over and over and over. The four components that each one of these stories hold is that something is lost, something is looked for, that thing is found, and they celebrate the recovery. It's the same thing. Something is lost, that thing is looked for, then it's found, and they celebrate the recovery. There's a, shep- there's a sheep that's lost. The shepherd goes looking for it. The shepherd find it, and they have a party because the sheep is home. Come on, somebody. There is a coin that is lost. The, widow goes, the woman goes looking for it. She finds the coin, and she has a party. There is a son who is lost. The dad's looking for him. The son comes home, and they have a party. Are you all hearing what I'm telling you today? And so here's, this is the biggest thing. I want you to hear this. And if you have a short attention span, which, by the way, there's been a study done recently. This is true, which is weird. There's a study done recently that human beings today have a shorter attention span than goldfish. True story. Goldfish have, a, have an attention span of eight seconds. Human beings, we are now clocked at six seconds. So I lost some of you a long time ago. <laughs> but if I can just, just reel you back in for a second, if you don't hear anything else, I'm telling you today. Jesus taught, Jesus walked, Jesus did miracles to let people know who God was and what God was like. And when he told the story of something lost, something looked for, something found, and something celebrated, not once, not twice, but three times, here's what I want you to know today. This is big for who God is and who we're called to be. Watch this. Luke 15 is God's triple declaration that he is passionate about finding lost people and loves to celebrate found people. When I say triple declaration, it's because the number three means completion. The number three means perfection. There's a reason Jesus didn't say it two times, and there's a reason he didn't say it four times. He said it three times because he's saying the perfect heart of God is that he is passionate about looking for lost people, and he loves celebrating found people. And I'm just telling you, if that's who God is, if that's who this Jesus is that we want to be like, WWJD, if that's what Jesus is like, then I'm just telling you that if we really want to follow him, live like him, reflect him, honor him, then we have to be individuals, and we have to be a community that is all about passionately looking for lost people and celebrating found people. Is anybody here with me today? Come on, somebody. So, to me, probably the most profound of the three between, again, this committed shepherd, this tenacious woman, and this compassionate father is probably the last one. If you've never read it before, I would encourage you today to go home and read Luke chapter 15. But for all of us, many of us here that we've read it, or if you're watching online and you're familiar with the story, Luke chapter 15, it's probably that last parable, the parable of, again, the lost son or the prodigal son. It's a picture of a father who has two sons, an older son and the younger son. And basically, Jesus paints the picture of this outrageously rebellious young man. 
and he highlights these awful mistakes and these decisions that he chooses to make. And let me just ask a question. Anybody here remember when you were a kid that you made some pretty big mistakes in your life? Anybody here remember the most ridiculous thing that you've ever done when you were a kid? Now, I can't share the most ridiculous thing. I know some of you don't think I have a filter up here, and you're shocked at some of the things I say. You'd be shocked at the things I don't say that I want to say. So I can't share some of the things that probably would qualify in my top five list or bottom five, depending if you're talking to my parents. But uh, this, is, this one wasn't so bad in context of other ones. But I remember this. Um, I was a young kid, maybe eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere in there. Um, my parents had gone out for the night, left me and my two older brothers at home. And I had this thing. I don't know if I was the only one. If someone else had this, I'd feel better. But, like, I, I kind of had this snooping thing about me. Like, I like to get into, like, stuff you wasn't supposed to get into when no one was home. I got into it. And so I went into my parents' bedroom. They weren't home. And I just started digging through my, my parents' drawers and, uh, like, looking at stuff. And I came across, and some of you guys have heard me tell stories. I have a pyromaniac gene in me. I can't help it. God put it there. I abuse it. I don't know. But I've caught stuff on fire. Fire never works in my favor. And uh, so this is one of my first stories with fire. So I'm sitting on my parents' bedroom floor, digging through my mom's drawer, and I find a lighter that my dad brought home for my mom when he was stationed in Germany when he was in the Army. And so lighters are meant to be lit. So I lit the lighter, and it was kind of cool, but it wasn't enough fire for me. So I looked around, and I found a piece of paper laying there, and I lit the piece of paper. And so I'm sitting on my parents' bedroom floor watching the fire consume this paper. And all of a sudden, when it starts kind of nipping in my hand, I realize I need to do something with this. And there's nothing to do on a bedroom floor with a piece of burning paper. I forgot a very important part of this story. We had, they had just put brand new carpet in their bedroom. And so I got up and I thought, I need to do something with this. So I ran for the bathroom to drop it in. And on the way of running, this ash broke off, fell on the bedroom floor on this new carpet and just burnt a hole in the carpet. And I tried to clean it and scrub it and, like, try to set a plant in the middle of the room like maybe they wouldn't notice it. And I'm just telling you, I was scared to death when my father got home. I was like, I'd rather call the police because I'd rather go to jail than the funeral home. Are you all feeling me? But here's the thing. Watch this. Even though, um, and I don't remember what happened after that, and that's probably because what happened. But my dad, I didn't stop becoming a son because I burnt the brand new carpet. Right? In spite of my mistakes, I was, still a, I was still my dad's son. What Jesus does in this story, and you can't miss, is he uses hyperbolic speech. He kind of makes the ridiculousness of this young man's decision so egregious and so big that his listeners, the religious of that day, were listening to Jesus talk about this young man, what he did to his father, how he acted, and made them think, I would never forgive that man. I would never welcome that young man back in my house. Jesus was trying to highlight how there are some of us in our hearts and in our minds, the way we think that we would reach a point where we would turn our back even on our own children. Now, I know you think never, but Jesus goes on, he teaches about this young man, and he says, first of all, that this young man goes to his father. And he says, hey, Dad, I want my inheritance now. What he says is he socially slaps his dad in the face and says, I wish you were dead now so I could have my share of the estate. The Bible says Jesus teaches that this father, he does it, and he, he splits the inheritance between the older son and the younger son. 
And the younger son, the Bible says, he doesn't just slap his father in the face socially by asking for his inheritance early, treating his dad as if he's already dead. But then he, like, he goes off the reservation. Like he moves to Vegas and goes living la vida loca, right? I mean, he's sleeping with prostitutes. He's shutting the club down. He's gambling his money away. Like I'm kind of maybe imposing some of that. Bible says through reckless living, through prodigal living, basically he squanders his inheritance, He wastes everything that his dad worked for and gave him and gifted him. And it doesn't end there. Then Jesus says, and to make it worse, the only job he can get, the only job he will work is working in a pigsty, feeding pigs, which for a Jewish kid was a no-no. And his his audience was shocked. I just got to give you a couple things real quick. When Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son, the son that goes off the reservation, the son that rejects his father and goes and does things his own way. It really is a picture of free will. You can do whatever you want. You can choose whatever you want. You can sleep with who you want to. You can go to school, not go to school, date around, marry, divorce. You can do. God has given every one of us in this room free will. You can choose to to love God and serve God, or you can choose to reject God. And what Jesus is doing in kind of a minute fashion, but it really is an emphasis in, in, this, in this kind of backlog of the story is saying, hey, listen, just like this son chose what he wanted, the father didn't make him stay home. He let him do what he wanted. Listen, anytime you live outside of God's will, it will always end bad and you will end up in a pigsty regretting your decisions. And the second part is, and this is where it's beautiful because there's always something lost. There's something to look for. There's something found, and there's something celebrated. The Bible tells us that the father never gave up on the son. In fact, he was looking at the horizon, waiting for him to come home. And the Bible says at one point, this young man that's made all these atrocious decisions, he's absolutely rejected this father's love. He's socially slapped him in the face. He's wasted his inheritance, and he's taken a job that no good, smart, loving child should ever have. And the Bible says he comes to himself. Everybody say that. He comes to himself. He wakes up and he looks around. He's like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And he decides, I I just got to get back to the father's house. I'll be a servant. I I don't even have to be a son. I'll just be a servant. And the Bible says he leaves the pigsty, goes back to the father's house. His whole journey, he's thinking of his apology. He gets to the father and he apologizes, which it's not just a picture now of free will. This story is a picture of genuine repentance. See, for a lot of us, we've made repentance like this church word that just we just say we're sorry. God, I'm sorry. And we just keep doing what we were doing, but we're okay because we told God we're sorry. What we need to see is genuine repentance is turning around from where we are and going another direction. It means you're no longer in the pigsty. You go back to the Father's house with genuine forgiveness and sorry in your heart, and you accept the forgiveness that only God can give. So it's this picture that this guy left from where he was and went back in the most beautiful point, and this is what Jesus is saying. When he showed up, the Father ran out and met him. 
And when he showed up, the Bible says that he put brand new clothes on him, put some new Jordans on his feet, put some jewelry on his hand, and he had a barbecue community cookout. Hired a DJ. There was party happening. There was sound booming. There was dancing going on. I'm telling you, everybody came to the party because the son was home. And the dad, he said, listen, you're not a servant. You're a son. And he wrapped his arms around him and threw a party for him because there's something lost, something looked for, something found. And when it's found, there's a party. Are you all hearing what I'm telling you? And so a party breaks out. But here's the crazy thing. All of these three parables follow the same regimen. Something lost, something looked for, something found, something celebrated. But Jesus veers from the formula on the last one. If he kept the same formula, he should end the story here. But he doesn't end the story here because now he changes gears. (laughs) Grinds them. He staggers the attention of his audience and he takes the focus off of the prodigal son, off of rebellious people like you and I that came back to the father who accepted us in spite of our sin and rebellion and mistakes, and he turns all the attention on the older son. Remember him? And he goes back, and here's where the story picks up. I love this. Watch this. Meanwhile, the older son, watch this, was in the fields working. And when he returned home, I love it, he heard music and dancing in the house. Do you know why? Because when something's found, there's a party. For me, man, it's one thing to hear loud music. Let me just tell you, if you can hear dancing outside, y'all are dancing. If you're dancing so hard that you can hear and you're not even in where the dancing happened, there's some dancing. You ain't line dancing, baby. I don't know what you're doing, but this, this party is so out of control that as the older brother is approaching the house, he hears the music, he hears the dancing, he hears the celebration. And he asked one of the servants, hey, hey, what's the party for? Hey, what's going on? Keep going. The servant says, your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and we're celebrating. Because what do you do when something that is lost is found? Come on, church, what do we do? We celebrate because of his safe return. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus takes the attention of this prodigal son who's unrighteous, who knows he's blown it in his relationship with the father. And he turns the attention on the older son. And I don't know if you notice this, but again, the Bible, the first thing it tells about the older son is where was he at? He was in the field. And he's coming up to the house. And you got to picture this, man. His clothes are dirty. He's got dirt under his fingernails. He's got sweat on his brow. And he hears a party. He's like, I bet your dad's celebrating me because I'm a hard worker. Hey, hey, what's the party for? And he asks the servant. And the servant says, hey, your brother... Who was, who was gone, he's back in the party for him. And you, listen, I don't know if you, you can read this, but can you imagine how irate the older brother is? He's like, wait a minute. I've been working. I've been out slaving in the field. I've been doing everything to honor the father. And here my younger brother who's been out sleeping with, pro- I'm working in the field. He's sleeping with prostitutes and he gets a party. I'm working my fingers to the bone to do what's right by the father. He's out wasting dad's inheritance and he gets the party. He's irate. And it's this picture because he asks himself this question, what did he do to deserve a party? And what Jesus is doing here by focusing his attention on the older brother, the people that have already been in the house, the people who've been in the house a long time, 
He's accenting that on the inside of people like me and maybe people like you, that we have this kind of self-righteous thing going on. Like, God, I've been working hard. Where's my party? Why is church all about lost people? Why do we do everything to reach lost? God, what about me? I've loved you since I was in Sunday school. God, I grew up in church. God, I've always honored. Where's my party? And Jesus is accenting that on the inside of us at times, we ask the question. And I'm just telling you, I have asked this question myself. Where I've looked at people that I didn't feel like fit the mold. I didn't feel like they qualified for God's love. Because I knew they just didn't get divorced once. They've been divorced twice. And they're on their way to the third divorce. They got kids that are living off the rail, wheels off. Kids aren't serving God. They're sleeping around. We know where they were last weekend. And I look at them and they come and they get into a relationship with Jesus. And I ask the question, like, what did they do to earn it? Like, I know they are. I know the life they're living. Have you ever allowed that question to creep into your heart where you look at someone else and think, who are they? It's like, I know how they're living. I know what they're doing. I'm just telling you, anytime you look at another person and you allow that question to raise in your mind, what did they do to deserve the Father's love? Be sure you quickly, before you answer that question, turn that question on yourself. What did I do to deserve the Father's love? Because you got two answers, either your self-righteousness or God's gift of righteousness. And the Bible says your self-righteousness is like filthy rags. The best you could do could never earn the love of a gracious father. But the good news is God freely gives to all those who ask. Are y'all hearing me today? Which means this, this, this guy who was being so self-righteous, he needed to come to a conclusion that even though the younger brother didn't do anything to earn the love, I didn't do anything to earn it either. He didn't do anything to earn a party, and I didn't do anything either. Y'all hear what I'm telling you? See, what I'm telling you is God is telling us that we need to be a whosoever church. You know whosoever church is, don't you? The Bible says whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Woo. That means whosoever. That means, that means the unrighteous whosoever's, the ones that we would marginalize and say they don't fit the mold, they don't really fit in, they don't have it together yet. I'm talking about the people that we would hold at arm's length, the people that doesn't look like us, the people that doesn't have the skin color like us, the people that doesn't have the sexual preference like us, people that don't drive what we drive, live in the neighborhoods we live in. Jesus said whosoever. And not just the unrighteous ones, but I'm telling you, I want to be the church that's even open to the self-righteous ones, the ones that think they got it all together, the ones to think they got life figured out. I want to be a whosoever church because here's why. Listen, if God is passionate about looking for lost people and celebrating found people, then you know what, church? We ought to be a church. We ought to be a community. We ought to be a gathering place. We ought to be people that are connected to the same faith in the same Christ in the same work he did on the cross with the same mission, and that is seeking lost people and celebrating found people because that's who God is. Come on, church. So I love this. Keep rolling in this story. It, it just gets worse. The older brother, watch this. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So there's a party going on. Like He can feel, he can feel the bass. Boom, 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 boom. And he refuses. His arms are folded. I'm not going in. He don't deserve a party. Look how he's treated the father. He's disrespected my dad. I've been working. I'm not, I'm not going in. And I love it. Watch this. And his father came out and begged him, son, come on, come in. Keep going in the story. But he replied, watch this. You don't miss this. All these years I've slaved for you and never once 
refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Isn't this funny? Watch it. This is how, this is how sly, this is how tricky self-righteousness is. Here's the older son looking at his dad in the face. His dad says, son, come in the party. No, dad, I always do what you tell me to do. What? What are we talking about here? You just said you, you always do what I say, but you won't come in. What the son is doing, and you can't miss this, remember now, watch. The younger son socially slapped his dad on the face when he asked for his inheritance early. The older son, who thinks he's got it all put together, does the exact same thing. Because when dad left the party and went out to get the son, if he comes in the party empty-handed, if that older son doesn't come into the party with him, it's declaring to that entire town, to all the servants, that the older son does not respect the father. When this guy does not go back in the party, he's socially slapping his dad in the face saying, Dad, I refuse to do what you're telling me to do. He was no better than the younger brother. I'm just telling you, church, there are some of us in this room that we are, we're younger sons. And some of you in this room, or maybe you're watching online, and maybe you're in the middle of a prodigal lifestyle, and you're off the reservation, and you're not serving God. I'm just telling you that God is passionate about seeking lost people and celebrating found people. And if you'll come back and you'll just return to him, I'm telling you, God will meet you where you are. He will love you regardless of what you've done. But if you're here and you're an older brother, you've been in church, you've been playing the game, maybe you really love God, but you're looking down your nose at other people, I'm telling you, we all get righteousness the same way. We cannot earn it. We receive it by the free gift that came through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It's a free gift that none of us can earn, no matter how long you've been in church or if you've never been in church. It's a free gift. And so he's standing out there and he refuses. Watch this. He, he says this. He says, never once I refuse to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Now, now, now stop. Remember where the inheritance was split? Read the story. The Bible says the inheritance was split and the father took a portion and gave it to the younger and took the rest and gave it to who? To the older. And here he is saying, you never did anything for me. Are you kidding me? Keep going. Here's where it's wheels off for this guy. Yet when this son of yours, notice that line. He doesn't say my brother. He said, but when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? I just want everybody to know something. Listen, if God chooses somebody to be a son, if they're good enough to be God's son, they're good enough to be our brothers. I don't see enough people writing that down. I'm just telling you, if, they, if they're good enough to qualify and nobody's good enough, but if they turn to Christ in genuine repentance and God pours out his grace on their life and they become a child of God, if God is able to recognize him as a son, we should recognize him as a brother. And what this, young, what this older brother is saying is, hey, listen, he's not my brother. He might be your son, but I refuse to accept him because he squandered. Keep going, last two verses. He says, right here, you can write this down. When we reject the prodigal, we disrespect the father. When we reject the prodigals, when we say certain people are off limits, they've gone too far, they've, they've done too much, they've blown it too often. Because this is what the religious leaders were, were saying to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, okay, we get it. You're going to hang around with some people that doesn't fit the mold. Okay, but notorious sinners, tax collectors, no, they're out of bounds. And what Jesus was doing was he was looking into the eyes of religious people, church people. 
He was saying, listen, you need to understand something. That if the heavenly father accepts prodigals, then we accept prodigals. And if we reject the prodigals that God's accepted, then we reject the God who's accepted the prodigals. And we just have to make a decision. Either we're a part of God's agenda or we got our own agenda. And as faith church, I can't speak for any other church, but as your pastor at faith church, I want to be a part of what God is doing on planet earth. I want to be a part of what God is doing right here in the shoals. I want to be a part of what he's doing. Keep going right here. Last couple of verses. His father said to him, look, dear son, notice what he says. Remember he said, I always feel like a slave. Notice what the father says. He says, you're not a slave. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. Last verse. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother. So the father says, you're my son. And this guy we've accepted back, it is your brother. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but is now found. What's crazy is both of these young men, both of these young men, neither one of them understood their sonship. One of them was begging to be a slave and the other one felt like a slave. And I'm just telling you that nobody can earn God's love and nobody should be working for God's love. God gives it freely to anybody who asks. So, a couple things. When you read through these parables, when you read through again about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, when you read through about this committed shepherd, this tenacious woman, this compassionate father, there's a couple things I want you to see because Jesus is really to the religious leaders that he's answering the question about who he's hanging out with and who he's choosing to associate with. Jesus is making a declaration and an invitation. His declaration is this because, again, anytime he taught, he was revealing who the Father was, what God was like. And when he's doing this, he's teaching, again, this, that God is patient. God is pursuing. God is long-suffering. God is loving. When you want to know what God is like, God, Jesus is saying God never gives up on the broken. He never stops pursuing the sinner. No matter how far you off are off the reservation, no matter how bad your decisions have been, God never gives up on us. That is a powerful declaration. Because maybe you're here and you believe that God gave up on you. Or maybe you're here and you believe that you've gone too far, you've messed up too big, you've done it too often. And you can believe how you feel or you can choose to believe what Jesus taught. And the purpose of these parables are a declaration that God never gives up on the prodigal. He never stops searching for the coin. He never stops pursuing the sheep that's gone astray. That's a powerful declaration. But it's not just a declaration, it's an invitation. Because as Jesus is teaching what the Father is like, He's inviting people like you and I to be a part of the redemptive process. He's inviting us to be a shepherd with him, to look for lost sheep. He's inviting us to be like the woman that looks for lost coins. He wants you and I not just to show up and to sit, but God is inviting us to be a part and be like the father who looks for the prodigal sons. So I want you to know something, church. That's why we do what we do here at Faith Church is because of parables like this that Jesus taught that gave us an inside picture of what the Father was like. Do you know why we give? Here's why we give you the opportunity to give. Not just so I get a salary. I do. Not just so we can get, keep the lights on. We do. 
But the reason we challenge you to give and the reason for, that we give as a church is because we want to be a part of what God is doing on planet Earth. We want to be a part of seeing lost people all over the globe come into a life-changing relationship through Christ Jesus with the Father. The reason we go on missions trips like we're going in just a couple weeks, we're taking a group of over 30 individuals to Honduras. By the way, if you'd like to be a part of that, you can give to it. We still need T-shirts and we still need underwear for children. Any, what age? Any age. We will find kids in the mountains that are walking around with no shirt on, walking around with no underwear on. I'm just telling you, if you'd like to help with it, you can bring it next week. But the reason we give is because we want to be a part of the redemptive work. We want to be part of looking for lost people and celebrating found people. Do you know why we pray here at Faith Church? Once a month, we have a prayer gathering. Once a month, first Saturday, we have first Saturday prayer. And we pray for our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for this church. We pray that God would use us. God would do something in our services. Do you know why? Do you know why we pray? Because we want to be a part of what God's doing. We want to be a part of passionately looking for lost people and celebrating found people. Come on, church. Do you know why? Do you know why we encourage you to invite people to church? Don't just show up and don't just come alone. Do you know why we encourage you to invite people? It's because we're being a part of the redemptive work that God is doing on planet earth. That if you'll invite somebody and get somebody here, I believe God will use you to get them here. God will use our people to serve them and love them and celebrate them and seat them and we'll preach to them. We're gonna lead worship. We believe that God will use all that to be a part of his redemptive work. Do you know why church? Because at Faith Church, we wanna be a part of passionately looking for lost people and celebrating found people. Do you know why we ask you to serve? Do you know why we ask you to hold a door, to help park a car, to hold a baby, to teach kids, to hold a camera, to jump online, to be an online host? Do you know why we ask you to greet? Do you know why we ask you to do VIP? Do you know why? Because we are a part of what God is doing on planet Earth to passionately look for lost people and celebrate found people. This is more than us showing up. This is us being co-laborers with Christ. If that's who God is, if that's what God is like, and we're choosing to follow him, represent him, and be like him, then we are going to be a church that passionately looks for lost people and celebrates found people. So don't be that guy. Three things. You can write these three, three, three things down through this story. Number one, don't be that guy who forgets. Don't be that guy who forgets how you got your sonship. Like, don't drink the Kool-Aid that you think that you now are good enough to earn the love of the Father. No one is good enough. The Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. Like, don't be in church so long that you forget that there was a time you needed Christ. Don't be in church so long that you forget that you needed welcomed when you show up. Like, there might have been a time that you showed up in a Budweiser shirt. Don't be mad when someone else shows up in a Budweiser shirt. Just be glad they're here. Just love them because they showed up. They may not look like you, dress like you, smell like you, or act like you, but God, I'm glad they're here because I'm going to be a part of passionately looking for lost people and celebrating found people. John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us how all of us became sons and daughters of God. Chapter 1 verse 12 says this, but to all who... Come on, but to who? But to who? All, everybody, but to all who believe in him and accepted him. He gave them right to become children of God. I know some of you have worked hard in this church for 50 years, but you are no more qualified to be a son of God than somebody who showed up 10 seconds ago and heard about the love of Christ. 
makes us sons and daughters isn't something we earn, something we deserve. It's not even really something that like we just choose on our own. The Spirit of God draws us in. We respond to that love through repentance, and God saves us. We don't save ourselves. All of us. Everyone. Number two. Don't be the guy that's selfish with the Father's love. Don't be that guy. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am to dispense the Father's love? Who do we think we are to choose who gets it and who doesn't? Well, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know who you sleep with. I know where you live. I know the money you make. I know what you give. You don't give. Serve. Don't serve. Who do we think we are as a church to decide who gets the Father's love and who doesn't? Let God decide that. I'm just saying what the Word says. Whosoever will. I want us to be a church open arm. See, here's the cool thing about the story of the prodigal son. They were both invited to the feast. God invited, the father invited the unrighteous and the righteous. Everybody's invited to the feast. Now, everybody's not going to choose to come in, but everybody's invited. I remember several years ago, my son and I, we were down at a local swimming pool and you know, there's a couple of things you do in a swimming pool, right? And no matter how old you are, you're going to do a handstand. Come on, somebody. Like, you're 54 years old, and you're still doing handstands in the pool. Number two, you're going to see how long you can hold your breath. Come on, help me, somebody. Like, you've not done that in five years, but you get in the pool, you're like, you got to watch, go. <gasps> and the third thing, everybody does it. Everybody throws the ball in the pool, right? No matter how cool you are. Everybody throws a ball. And when you get a ball out in a swimming pool, everybody becomes a canine. Everybody wants the ball. Throw me the ball. Throw me the ball. So my son and I, were hanging out at a swimming pool, and I got a ball just like this one. And just him and I in this swimming pool. It's crowded, kids everywhere. And him and I, we start throwing this ball. Ronnie, can you help me out? And him and I, we start throwing the ball to each other. And every time I throw the ball, like we're just hanging out, we're chatting, and we're laughing. He throws the ball back. And all of a sudden, because it happens in every pool, this kid's like, hey, throw me the ball. Throw me the ball. And so even though Zach and I are throwing the ball, I throw the ball to Chad. He catches it. I throw it back to Zach. Throws it back. I throw it back to Chad. And all of a sudden, there's another kid. Hey, throw me the ball. I throw the ball. I'm telling you, the more I throw the ball, I mean, there's like 20 kids. Hey, throw me the ball. Throw me the ball. And I just start throwing the ball to all these kids. I start throwing the ball. Every now and then I throw it to Zach. But more times than not, I'm throwing it to other kids. And all of a sudden I look up and Zach's gone. I got this ball. He's kids, throw me the ball. And I look over and my son is sitting on the side of the pool. Has a long face. And I go over to him. I swim over to him. I'm like, Zach, what's wrong, man? He's like, Dad, you're supposed to be playing with me. Like you're throwing the ball to all these other kids. Like why aren't you throwing the ball to me? Like... And I told him, I was like, Zach, come here. I said, look around the pool. How many dads do you see here? He looked around, there wasn't, like I was it. And I said, now, Zach, maybe, just maybe, some of these dads couldn't get off work and be here with their sons. But I said, I'd be willing to bet most of these kids don't have a dad. You get to go home with me. They're going to go home to an empty house. So I know you don't want to share me with all these kids, but if I have an opportunity to love these kids by throwing a ball with them, build a relationship by throwing a ball with them, then that's the kind of dad I'm going to be, not just to you, but to anybody I have a chance to. And like it took him a while. You can tell he didn't get it, but he was kind of mad I wasn't just there for him. Church, I'm telling you, 
church people become guilty of wanting to hoard the Father's love. Like it's just about us. Make it just about me. And I'm just telling you, don't be that guy who decides who gets the Father's love and who doesn't. Let's spread it around. Last one, number three. Don't be that guy that makes it all about you. That was the older son. Hey, what about me? What, what about me? Dad, what about, what about my hard work? I've been slaving. What about me? We can never be the church. If we're going to be a church that's passionate about reaching lost people, we love celebrating found people. If we're going to do that, then it can't be about us. It can't be about us. It's got to be about our community. It's got to be about your coworkers. It's got to be about your family. That means we're going to do things. It means we're going to have programs. It means we're going to play music. It means we're going to preach messages. It means what's going to happen in the context of Faith Church is not just going to be about the people who are already here. It's going to be about the people that God is drawing here. Are you all hearing me, church? About three years ago, I didn't tell this story first service. I'm almost done. You all with me? About three years ago, I'll never forget. My, my third message here, I said the word fart in church. And I didn't even mean to say it. it. wasn't in my notes or anything. But I, I mean, I was just, I was talking about the context of why we do some of the things we do. And, and I said it, I'll never forget this couple to my left right over here immediately got up and, le- and I could tell when they were leaving, they were leaving. They were never coming back. And I thought, you're leaving because I said the F word? Not even the real F word, just an F word. You know, it's okay. So from time to time, we see people who don't like what we do because they want it about them. And that's okay. God loves them the same way he loves the unrighteous and the self-righteous. But fast forward, so I've seen, while I've seen tens go, we've seen hundreds come over the last five years. And I'm always about who's coming. I'm not concerned with who's leaving. If you ever want my focus to be that, I promise you it'll never be that. It'll always be who's coming. So we're sitting in a service, and I don't remember what made me turn around, but I was sitting where I sit all the way here, and I just happened to turn around all the way back to my right, to your left. I've seen a couple that have been here a long time get up and leave. And again, it was in the middle of music, and I could just tell they weren't happy. So you don't think I'm not compassionate. Like I called them, I said, hey, what's going on? I seen you left during worship. And this is what they said. They said, Pastor Steve, this is not just, it's just not our church anymore. It's not the church we've, we've been in for the last 20 years. And this is what I told him. I said, I know it's not the church you're used to, but I've made a decision as a pastor of Faith Church. It's not about us. Like I'm going to heaven. If I die today, I'm confident because of what Jesus, I'm going to heaven. What I'm not confident about are my neighbors. What you're not confident about is some of your coworkers. What we're not confident about is some of our families. So this isn't about us. It's about how many can we get in to crowd heaven. So what I told this man that I was talking to on the phone that was upset, and I understood why, this is what I told him. I said, well, I hate that you left so early in the service because what you missed was at the end of that service, 42 people got baptized celebrating their decision to follow Christ. And so in the conversation, I blessed him. I said, hey, listen, if you don't feel like you're a fit here, and this is what I tell people, You need to be in a church that you love being at. Because if you love being at that church, you'll go, you'll participate, and you'll bring people. And if you're not happy at a church, you'll be miserable and make people around you miserable. So I said, listen, if if you don't love it at faith, I hate hate it. But I get it. Church is an important part of our spiritual journey. Go find a church you love. So they left. 
don't know when it was, two weeks or two months later or so, I looked back during worship and they were back. And they probably liked the music about as much then as when they left two months previously, but they were here. And so I called him. I said, hey, man, I noticed you were back this morning. I just want you to know it's good to see you. What's going on? And this is what he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, Pastor Steve, he said, I'll tell you, like I told you a couple months ago, he said, man, there's just things changing about the church that we don't love. But he said this. He said, but I decided after looking around that I can't argue what's happening at Faith Church is God, and I want to be where God's moving. And so they've been back. So, so listen, listen. You're not always going to love what we do. You're not always going to love the way we do it. You're not always going to love the way it sounds. But I promise what you have to fall in love with. What God doesn't give us a choice to fall in love with is we're going to be passionate about reaching lost people. And we're going to be passionate about celebrating found people. That's my heart. So can I just give you one more thought? that's what preachers do. I don't often say one more, but I'm going to say one more. Here's a thought. When you look at the older son, where was he at? He was in the field shucking corn while his brother is lost in the world. Let me just ask you a question. If your brother is lost in the world, are you going to be in the field or are you going to be out in the world looking for him? Because I hope if I'm ever lost, listen, listen to me, I hope if I'm ever lost again, Y'all will come looking for me. Amen. We're not going to be a church that shows up in a building and sits in seats and goes home. I want us to be a church that serves when the unrighteous show up, that serves when the prodigals come home. But I dare us. If that's all we do, I think that's okay. But I double dog dare you to be a church that just doesn't show up and serve on Sunday morning. But we go out looking for the prodigal. Does anybody want to be that kind of church? So, Father, we love you today. We thank you that you, through the clear teaching of the parables, Jesus, you made it so abundantly clear. You made a triple declaration, a perfect understanding that it is the Father's will to passionately pursue lost people and celebrate found people. And so, Lord, I pray that, God, we would be followers, that we would be Jesus lovers, that we would be a community and a church that does the same thing. Father, I pray God help us to lay aside our self-righteousness and recognize that everybody coming gets in the same way through the gift of the gift of righteousness that comes through Christ. And so Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we won't be that guy. We won't be that church that tries to hoard the Father's love. We won't be that church that tries to decide who gets in. We won't be that church that forgets how we became sons and daughters. And so, Lord, I pray, God, speak to our hearts. Challenge us, God. Challenge us to open our arms wide, to meet people where they are, to decide that everybody's invited to the party. And, God, to know that you're working on planet Earth, that, God, you're drawing sinners. You're rescuing people far from you. And, God, we at Faith Church, we want to be a part of it. God, we want to give, we want to serve, we want to pray, we want to invite to be a part. We want to link arms. We want to be co-laborers with Christ to reach people who are far from you and to connect them with God and others. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to do it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed, said amen. Amen. amen.